hey, you're listening to Chew on that. And here's what we're chewing on today. You go over there where we don't have to see you. That's not new. We've been incarcerating and institutionalizing people rather than repairing and rehabilitating them for decades. We live in a throwaway culture. And it makes God sad because God isn't a throwaway God. He's not in the replacement business. He's in the restoration business, the redemption business. My friend, with the food ministry, he was able to redeem what would have otherwise been thrown away. And that's what Jesus did on the cross and what God wants us to do with the people he puts into our lives. And so I wanna talk about that today because if America is ever gonna smile again, we have to discover life is valuable. Hey, hi, welcome to Chew On That. My name is Scott Eastman. I'm the downtown pastor for Life Church here in Green Bay. And you're joining us for a podcast where we dig deeper into the most recent sermon from the most current sermon series happening at Life Church. In this case, it's the sermon series Smile Again. And it's our friend, Pastor Sean, talking about uh, the value of life. And I love it so much. In fact, I can't think of a better person to be talking with me today than my friend, Emily Carlson. Say hi, Emily. Hi. It's great to have you here today. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so excited. So a lot of people probably might know your face because I feel like you're kind of everywhere, but they might not know you. So maybe just tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, and some people might know me as Emily Jolly. That's how I always say it. <laughs> yep, that's my maiden name. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, I am uh, from Green Bay. I've been going to Life Church for about uh, four, five years. Mm-hmm. I think it's four. Um, maybe five years this fall, but that doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> um, and I just got married last year, and we're. You know, so my husband and I are navigating that. We yeah. we recently started going to downtown. I love that. Which I love. Um, so good. We're really enjoying that. Um, and so, yeah. So you're from town. You went to yeah. Green Bay Preble. I did, yeah. Yep, that's awesome. And then what did you do when you were done with high school? I went to college and graduated from UW-Green Bay with a degree in arts management. Ah. A business degree for the arts, um, and now I help manage the exchange. Right, right shop. into Pierre. Yep, that's yeah, right into Pierre. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So fun. And then how did you meet your husband, Steve? Online. <gasps> Ooh, scandalous. <laughs> uh, match.com. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by- Right, yeah, by yeah. Match. Yeah, um, we met on Match um, and just, you know, really had the same faith uh, yeah. the same theology. And so that was good. And that's kind of what we were both looking for. And, um, we fell in love. I love that. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about your faith background. Were you always a church person? Yeah. Um, I was raised in the Lutheran church. Okay. Um, so in my formative years, it was a lot of like, this is what we do. We go through these motions. We go to church on Sunday, but I didn't really have a, um, a scope for relationship with mm-hmm. God, with Jesus. Um, and that didn't come until later. Um, my parents actually, when I was in high school, really started to form relationship with God in their own lives. Mm-hmm. And so that um, propelled me to do the same. Gotcha. Um, you know, after a lot of junk that yeah. happened in yeah. my life. Yeah. So yeah. that's how it happened for me. I love that. So when you, what made you choose Life Church or why did you stay at Life Church? What did you find that you, I don't know, identified with here? Yeah, I, um, a friend's sister 
posted that there was like a new campus starting mm. from Life Church. Uh, that was, um, it's not a thing anymore. I think North Campus it was, oh, but yep, yep. Um, she had been posting that and I was going through a really tough time in life. Gotcha. Uh, my first husband and I had separated and the very next day I commandeered a friend and I said, let's go to Life Church. And um, there was a song that was like, our God is a God of miracles. And at that time I was hoping for one yeah. <laughs> in my own life. Yeah. And, um, and pastor Sonny was so wonderful to just come alongside me and pray with me and, um, through that trial that I was going through. And so I just felt that the culture here and the, the people that I met here were just like home to me. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I love that. You're so awesome. Emily Jolly. Emily Carlson. Thank you. Anyway, so we're we're just gonna jump into the um uh we're gonna jump into the first uh, of the sound bites and then we'll just listen to it and then we'll just talk about it if that's okay with you. Cool. All right, awesome. I was pastoring a growing, thriving church, but Pastor Sonny, she couldn't take my lies, ego, and manipulation anymore. So she packed up my kids and left me with the intention of filing for a divorce. You know, the church world, it's a small world, so it didn't take long for word to spread about the split. And people who'd previously booked me to come speak at their churches and their events, they started calling and canceling me. In fact, one day I was canceled from 12 events. I was getting so many cancellation calls, I stopped answering my phone. I figured I'd just let people cancel me over voicemail. And in the midst of my pain, people just abandoned me, walked out of my life. I feel like we kind of talked about that in the intro. Like, yeah. I feel like you were kind of at that place when you were looking for a God of miracles. Mm -hmm. Could you talk? I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, that's okay. Can we talk Let's a little bit about there. like the the worthlessness that we can feel in a broken relationship or when we've been betrayed or when we've been abandoned? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I I so get the feels when, when Sean, Pastor Sean talks about you know, Sunny had had enough, picked up and left. And I just, uh, that kind of brings me back to like the day where my first husband was like, yeah, I want a divorce. I'm leaving. Um, and oh, gosh, like the crushing yeah. <laughs> like feels from that. Um, and it does, it makes you question like, well, what did I do? Where did I go wrong? Like what's wrong with me? And yeah, it creates worthlessness, like that feeling of um, not being enough. And um, it's really hard to walk through that. Yeah. And, you know, I remember thinking, gosh, if I didn't have my relationship with Jesus, I don't know what would happen. Mm. I don't know what I would do. And I remember telling my mom, like, gosh, I don't know how people do this go through these hard, hard things without Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. You and I have a similar story in that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, married for a second time as well. And <clears throat> my, uh, my first wife kind of did the same thing. Just like one day kind of out of the blue, like maybe it shouldn't have been out of the blue, but I just feel like it was out of the blue. I'd be hard pressed to remember anything that would lead me to believe that it was about to happen anyway, where she just said, Hey, I'm, I'm taking the kids and I'm leaving you. And I was like, what I, what I, right. And it's yeah. like, I don't know, like the first day is shock. And then 
you know, I don't know, like all the things, right? Anger yeah. and, you know, grief. Yeah. Like it's just, and, and, you know, I'd, I've always been a romantic, not like in the band from the 80s. <laughs> Your love is secret that I keep when something. <laughs> I can't help you with that one. Sheep. Anyway, <laughs> it was a band. Anyway, um, but like the, a person that just kind of had an idealized version of the world. Yeah. And so, you know, this was a girl that I dated in high school and I married and like you just have this idealized thing that it just life will unfold that like a TV it. show. Right. And so for her to say, yep, I changed my mind. You're not the person. You're not it. Yeah. Totally. Like, oh like just like rip me right open, you know, and like it took it wasn't like a year or two for me. Like it was, you know. It, it was a decade, right? Just to even just to f- start figuring it out, just to start figuring it out. And like you, for me, that I wasn't going to find my worth or my not throwawayableness in any place but with God, because I just found that the more people I tried to identify with or, or spend time around that I realized that, you know, they could just walk out right now too. Like they could, you know, stop being my friend or they could stop whatever. Cause people, that's what people do. Like, and so this idea that God would never do that for me, like early on, you know, the story of the prodigal son always meant the world to me because this idea of, of a guy that, you know, through entirely his own fault became worthless, right? Like just like literally and figuratively worthless. And, you know, his dad was waiting for him to come home and ran to greet him and threw his arms around him. And I'm like, yeah, I need that. Whatever that is, I don't know, you know, how true Jesus's parables are, but I figure he's Jesus and he can't tell a lie. And so he said, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And so like, I, I found that to be true, that, that that's where my value, my worth is, my not throwawayableness is, is in that. You know? Yeah. I think just because we're, we're imperfect people and there's no perfect person that doesn't experience, you know, throwing it away, you know, you, people are imperfect. And so the only place that you can truly find that type of love is through God. Yeah. 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 And hopefully as people, but even that isn't always all the time reliable, right? Like, cause you know, as people should be closer to that, you know, like when, if you find yourself around Jesus people, it should be less so, but even then, like they're still flawed. It's like, I'm flawed. And I know that I let people down and that, I might treat people in such a way that they might feel like I'm throwing them away or that I'm disregarding them. And I need to be super careful of that. Having gone through it myself and knowing what that feels like, how that guts you, like I need to be super careful that no one ever, ever, ever feels that way. Yeah. You know, like I, I feel like I spent a lot of time with my kids explaining myself to them just to, cause I don't want them to ever misconstrue, I don't know, a decision that I'm making or something I'm not allowing them to do or you know, a punishment or something, you know, like I don't want to misconstrue that, that I feel like they're not worthy or they're not valuable to me. That in fact, here's the lesson that I need them to learn for this because I, without that context, you know, I'm just the kind of guy that would fill that in with my worthlessness. And so I don't ever want them to fall into that. I love that Scott, because it's so, it's so beautiful what God, what God does through our hurts and our mm. trials. And he he weaves that into our story to be something so beautiful that now you can be mindful with your kids. And now you can have that context in mind and, and to know how you might be perceived. And, and because you're 
working towards being more like Jesus, um, you have opportunity to pass that on right. to your kids. Right. I love that so yeah. much. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's, that's awesome. And I wonder how many people you've thrown away whose setback was just a setup for their comeback. Or how many of you have been thrown away who need to realize your setback was just a setup for your comeback. Because God isn't in the throwaway business. Yeah, I, I love that because I feel like that should be a t-shirt, right? The setback is a setup for a comeback. Like yes. I, I love that because I, it's just like what you just said. Like we gotta, we can't just take our hurts or the things that happen to us and like, and like stop there, like build a house there or build a, you know, build a tower of, of grief there. And just, this is where I'm going to live for the rest of my life. This thing happened to me and now I'm hurt and angry and I'm just going to sit in this. And like, God's like, oh no, you can't stop. Like you gotta, we gotta keep moving. We'll just keep moving. We'll keep moving. And so that's why I love that statement about setbacks being setups for comebacks because I know there's a lot of people around, you know, that just when something like that happens, then they just stop, stop in their tracks. And like, I, I can't move any further than this. And then what I think happens, um, like, especially here, like in our part of the country, you may or may not know this, but like Green Bay, Fox Valley, like routinely on like the drunkest cities in America. And that's something that I, I suppose if you're part of the Tavern League, you think is fantastic, right? But as someone that like cares about people's emotions or cares about people's emotional well-being, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's catastrophic. That like what's happening to us? Like what's, what's part of our makeup as a culture that makes us not want to work through our pain or work through things that happen and instead just cover it up with a, you know, with a weekend of, you know, drinking or, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I think these life events that happen, these low lows of life are called devastating for a reason. Right. You're devastated. You can't, you can't get past it on your own. And so, you know, for, for a lot of people, that means coping with certain things because you, you become depressed mm -hmm. and that is literally your body's way of de- pressurizing you, right. depressing you in order to slow you down so that you will mentally deal with the trauma that you just experienced. And so because we know that, we know that things like alcoholism and just any sort of vice that you right. turn to is your way of coping instead of dealing. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We, 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 we get addicted. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for some of us, it's alcohol, right? Other people might be drugs. Other people might be shopping. Other people might food. be sex or, or food or, yeah. you know, whatever. Anything. That, right. And so like we take this thing, because I want to hear you say, Emily, is that is that depression is actually a natural response for us. Like it's our body and mind's way to like shut down for a second just to give us time to deal with what's happening. Yeah. Like, and so our body will slow down, our mind slows down. You know, like, and so, and that, and that feels like sadness, right? Yeah. Like that feels like sadness, but it's really just a quieting maybe. And so, but then we, we take depression and then just like, again, make it a place where we land, not a, not a stage of dealing with a situation, but instead a place to land. Yeah. Like I'm depressed and I'm not denying depression because I suffer from depression, yeah. right? And anxiety. And so like, I'm not saying that you're stupid if you stop at depression, but that's when we start getting into problems. And that's yeah. where I feel like, what can I make to make this pain stop, this sadness stop, this rumination on my devastation? Mm -hmm. 
how do I make that stop? And so if I don't deal with it, if, I'm not, if I don't have the tools to deal with it or if I don't have the courage to deal with it, then that's when I get into addictions where I'm going to like, yeah. well, I know that I don't think about it when I'm drunk or I know I don't think about it when I'm shopping or I know I don't think let's about it if I'm it. sleeping around. Right, let's, let's numb it. That is so good that he's provided us a, a red flag, a signal that is in our bodies that we, our bodies try to slow us down. Mm. in order to deal with it. And that's so good. If you think about it, that's God's gift yeah. of like the stages of grief. But when it becomes perpetual sadness right. and sorrow, that's like so deep in you that you can't get out of it. That's when you're maybe stuck. And um, to get out of that, like God has given you those signals of yep. like, um, you know, if you can't get out of bed or if you you know, can't stop doing something perpetually or, you know, those are warning signs to you that, hey, something's going on in your brain that you need to deal with in order to get past. Yeah. And I I think that when I think about that, I think about depression in our culture as a mental illness, um, as like a stigmatized Mm. thing, right? But it's really God's gift to us and not that you should live there like you said but um it's it's a quieting it's a slowing down in order to deal with stuff um and so i think when what what happens is sometimes we can take ownership of it and and create part of our identity in that my depression i struggle with depression mm. it's mine and we um claim ownership of that our bodies hear us saying that, you know, our brain hears us saying that. And, um, then, you know, it's a perpetual cycle over and over again. And so I think where some of us get tripped up is that's not meant to be part of our identity. Yeah. It's not meant to be ours to keep. It's a, um, just a, like a programmed, like, Hey, yeah, look at this. Yeah. 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 I love that. Cause I, I feel like as, as you were talking, I was thinking about how I feel like another thing that we can become addicted to in, in our effort to not deal with it is we'll, we can come become addicted to the attention that we get or the affection that we get when we're, you know, dealing with the grief and nothing that we shouldn't be getting that. Right. But sometimes if we don't have the courage to deal with the actual circumstances, we take heart or we take comfort in being uh, felt sorry for. Mm-hmm. And again, I say this not from a place of accusation, but a place of experience. Like where mm-hmm. I was like, I, I kind of like it when people have to check in on me or ask, because they weren't asking me before, at least when I'm sad, they'll check in on me and say, oh, are no. you sure you're okay? And I'm like, yeah, now they see they care about me. And that somehow that, you know, I don't know, it gives me a charge. And so sometimes we can hang on to our grief too long because of how people respond to it and how it makes us feel. And, and that can be equally as dangerous because for me, it occurred to me that at some point you cross over the boy who cried wolfness of it. And you're like, I don't ever want to be the person that's just always depressed. And like, cause people kind of like, they're they care about me, but if I'm just always, you know, poopy, then they're going to, they're going to stop checking in. And they're me. like, Oh yeah, we, we don't really want Scott around. Right. Because- right. Yeah. Let's not invite Scott. Cause he's going to bring that crap with them. Yeah. You know? And like, because at that point you've built it into your identity. You're it. identifying as that. Right. Um, whereas God has called you, you know, joyful yeah. and energetic and, you know, that's con- 
contradicts, yes. you know, that yep. contradicts what God says about you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really, 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 really good. You're so smart. You're smart. <laughs> See, in that, in those scriptures, we actually see the four steps Nehemiah took to go from a throwaway to a person of purpose. He mourned, wept, fasted, and prayed. And when he did those four things, God's purpose showed him his value and drove him to help others realize theirs. I forget what he said those things were. Mourn, Mourn, wept, wept, fasted, fasted, and prayed. prayed. So we were just talking about like what it takes to like pull out of that, right? So if our body responds to our devastation or our disappointment or our hurt in a way that depresses us or depressurizes us, Mm -hmm. right? Then because God made us that way, he knows this is the way out. These are the, these are the steps you take out. It's a four step process to to weep, hurt, mourn, mourn, weep, weep, fast. fast and pray. That those are the four. I'm really bad at memory. That's okay. Anyway, so you could see where that would be a healthy way out or God's way out to take this tool of depression and rather than making it a home, like we use that tool to work our way out of that hole, right? Yeah. And not just build a home inside the hole. Yeah. And so, um, but I think about those things for me. Uh, they were uh, grieve. I'm not going to tell you. You no, remember? No, come on. You remember? No, pr- prayer. Yes, that was one. Mourn is one. Mm-hmm. Grieve is one. No. Sort of. Weeping. Weeping. Gnashing of teeth. <laughs> rending of clothes. No. <laughs> fasting. Oh, right. Fasting is in there too. Yeah. I think that's where he loses me every time because I'm like, <laughs> I'm not a really good faster, right? Like I'm just, I wish I were a better faster than I am. But anyway. I wish I were faster. Oh, yeah. Well, that too. <laughs> yeah. I'm not faster because I'm a bad faster is really what it comes down to. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not trying to diminish the steps out of sadness, but like I I, I love his story about Nehemiah. And if you don't know the story about Nehemiah, like you didn't hear the sermon, you should go back and hear the sermon because it's actually really, really good. But he talks about how Nehemiah uh, was at a place of worthlessness because he needed to go back to his homeland to help them rebuild uh, the kingdom, right? Yeah, a wall, yeah. Right. And so, but he couldn't because he had a job that he was committed to as the cupbearer for the king. Mm. But the cupbearer actually had no value at all. Like the cupbearer's whole job was just to be there to take poison so the king didn't. And so you every day, every meal, you were just waiting to eat something or drink something that would kill you. And so that's how he felt worthless. And so when he found out that he had this crappy job, but couldn't go and help his family or his people rebuild, then he was like, oh my gosh, like there's a misplace. And so he went through this process of weeping. Why morning. would you just let mourning? Oh, I should remember that because mourning is like the first thing that happens. Yeah. Like morning in the morning. Morning in the morning. Right. Morning, weeping, fasting, and praying. You got yeah, it. See, now I got it. It's just the morning part. Yeah. And that happens first. It does. It's super easy to remember. Do you do that kind of thing when you're trying to remember stuff? Like you try to like Sometimes, work. Yeah. There's a word for that. I forgot what it is. Like a mnemonic. It's like a mnemonic a, device. Yeah, that would be if you like had the first letter rhymes with you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 sure. Right, like Johnny Mnemonic. That was a movie with Keanu Reeves. Oh, cool. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so when you when you think about these four steps out of it, like, is that, did it, how much of, the, of, of your process out did it look like that? Um, I think at the time I was not in a place 
with my faith where I totally understood fasting, so I didn't do that stuff. Mm. But I have since, you know. Yeah. Um, but there was definite, like, mourning and weeping. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Like, that day and all the days that, you know, led up to, you know, a couple of years ago, actually, there was a lot of mourning and weeping. And I was kind of, kind of stuck in that, I would say. Um, and uh, I, I did a lot of praying about that as well. But I think these, this formula that um, is in this story, it just, again, points to the goodness of God right. so much. It's like, here's a formula. Here's what you need to do. Just do this. Yeah. You know, just do these four things. Even when I'm thinking about those, I feel like the first half of those, the mourning and weeping, those are like our reactions to what's happening, right? These are our our human, our in our flesh. This is how we can respond to that. But that that, that doesn't get us all the way there. There's two other steps that we need. And this was other two steps where we're enlisting supernatural help, a supernatural superpower, right? By fasting and praying, we're enlisting God's help to get the rest of the way out. So we can like we can dig our own hole with the fasting and and I mean with the mourning and the weeping, right? Like we just kind of do that on our own. But then yeah. when we're ready to get out, that's when we take on the fasting and the praying. That the fasting prepares us for a a, um, a clearer prayer, a, pre- a clearer communication, a clearer mind as we work things out with God, right, in yeah. our prayer. And so you can see how those four steps, you know, make sense, even like as you were just saying, because left to our own devices, we'll just end with the with the mourning and the weeping. Yeah. You know, and then we'll just never get past that. Yeah, and then that's where people get stuck, like we were talking about. Not good. It just seemed useless. So they just gave themselves up to captivity. I wonder how many people thinking their lives are in shambles have decided it's useless to fight and have just given themselves up to captivity because the thing they thought was their protection, it's been destroyed. They got a divorce. They lost their job. They gave in to addiction. Their shortcomings spiraled their lives into shambles, and so they just gave up. Yeah. And I feel like he was listening to the first part of our conversation, right? Like, I feel like because that's that that's that idealization that we place on the things that are that we're pursuing here: our jobs, our relationships. Like we have this idealized sense that if I could just get this job, then that job's going to be everything and it can hold all the weight of everything else. Or if I can just meet this one girl or I can marry this one particular guy, right? Like I can build everything on this. And that... That's like putting all your eggs in the one basket. That's the thing. Yeah, right. Or building your house on a sandy land. Yes. Right? And building it too near the shore. Yeah. Right? And so like, like we do that because like how the world tells us to, or yeah. again, like when I think about this idealization that I had about my, my first wife and like what I thought our lives were going to be, like it was, it was all love songs, right. And romantic comedies. So just because that's what I thought would happen. Like that was, that was what, what, what it was, you know? And so I put all the weight of everything on that. And then when it crumbles, now I've got no, I got no feet to stand on. Or I've got no, you know, ground to stand on. And that. I think at, as Jesus people, we have to realize that other people, even if they're Jesus people, are imperfect, of course. And so placing your hopes and your dreams and putting all that pressure on that is so, is, is incorrect. We, yeah. we shouldn't be doing that. 
Um, and what what my thoughts were hearing him talk about that is like, you know, our our per- his perceived protection and pride was gone, lost. So he felt hopeless. Yeah. And didn't want to continue, but but God is our protection. Right. And he is the point. So, you know, placing your hopes and your dreams in him is where we should be. And I feel like life is just kind of a journey to learn that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like when, as soon as I give up trying to, sorry, as soon as I give up making my own way or doing yeah. it according to my plan or doing it according to like how I think it should look, I found that as soon as I gave up on that and just let, you know, just pursued God and a, and a deeper relationship with him and a better understanding of him, like all that other stuff just kind of took shape on its own. In fact, it was cleaner. It was, um, it was more elegant, mm-hmm. you know, simpler. Cause I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to step on anyone. Or I didn't have to go around anyone. I didn't have to tell a lie. I didn't have to cheat. I didn't have to take advantage of anyone. Like it just, it was cleaner. It was cleaner. And so, because all that mattered was this pursuit and it doesn't, for me anyway, it doesn't look like, I don't know, spending five hours a day in church Mm -hmm. and the other eight hours a day in my Bible. And like, it doesn't look like that for me. Maybe it should. Again, I should be better faster and I should probably be a better Bibler. And there's a bunch I should be better at. Bibler. I like that one. (laughs) It's like a bubbler, but it's a Bible. But it's a Bible. Right. So like, it doesn't look like that for me. It just Mm -hmm. looks like, like, who does God want me to be? And I'm just out there just trying to be that guy. You know, and like, so for my business or for my family or for anything else, like in my pursuit of being more like Jesus or being a better Jesus guy, it turns out that just a byproduct of that is being a better dad and a better husband and a better businessman, you know? And so it all just takes care of itself where everything else I was trying to build for myself was a house of cards. Yeah, absolutely. I think our plans are are never going to be we we could we could come up with the grandest plan and it's always going to fall short of what god's plans are for us yeah and even though there's those low lows and sometimes the high highs and everything in between even though there's those low points the the beauty of it is that god uses all of it yeah. he uses all of it to make us better to um draw us closer to him and to, to create hearts in us that are um, compassionate and loving to the people around us. Cause right. that's the whole point is love, yeah. love, love and go. Love, love you know, and go. is yeah. what we say at downtown and you know, we just are supposed to love on the people around us. And so I think everything in our stories, God uses to point us in that direction yeah. and that's where we want to go. And that's the, the best plan. The only, and I was just thinking as you were talking, like the only negative, negative, I'm doing air quotes. The only negative, I wasn't actually really, but I, it's, yeah. it's like radio. So you have no idea what I'm doing or not. But anyway. But I do. The only negative. There, he did it. Yeah. Air quotes. <laughs> Downside to loving and caring and being kind is that, is that you you don't get to take care of yourself. You don't get to, you don't get to do what you want to do. You don't get to be selfish if you do that. And so I stay with me. Cause I feel like if I chase after God, if I chase after being more like him, or if I chase after being a Jesus guy, the only thing anyone could ever say is, 
oh, but you weren't looking out for yourself or you're not, you know, don't you want to, aren't you gonna like this? Because there's no other downside to it. The downside is both my life is better and the people around me's lives, people around me, their, their lives are better. Yeah. And like my neighbor's life is better. Like everyone's life is better. The only downside is that like, I'm not, I don't know. But, but being the, selfish. But the awesome part about that is that God gives you the desires of your heart. Right. And so that's not to say he's going to give you everything you want. Right. It's that what you want is going to change yeah. as you drive towards right. him and being more like him and loving others. That's what starts to bring you joy. Yeah. And that's what, you know, the desire of your heart becomes right. as you as you journey towards that. And that's, it's so much more satisfying than a Tesla or a second house or, you know, whatever else. And there's nothing wrong with those things. And God, you know, can bless you with those things. If, if that's, you know, right. If you have the income to do that or whatever, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not saying if you have a Tesla, you're in trouble. I'm just saying like, sometimes we say that the Tesla is the thing. Yeah. Right. Because if I could just get that, if I could just get to that, point in life, that standard that I have. That's it. Um, but, but those are empty without loving other people because, right. you know, there's that verse about a creaking gate and a sounding gong or whatever. Yeah. If you're not loving, then what do you have? You're, yeah. you're nothing. Yeah. You're nothing. That's good. But you're not nothing. You're not nothing. <laughs> I mean, guys, you want to be a happy person, a joyful person, a person who smiles again? Here's a simple formula. Start helping other people. But what people? Well, what makes you sad? Does homelessness make you sad? Help there. Does human trafficking make you sad? Does divorce or fatherlessness, victims of addiction or abuse? Help there. Help them. Maybe they've decided it's useless to fight and they've just given themselves up to captivity. Help them. Serve them. Remind them they're people of purpose. Because the more you serve people, the more you'll value people. And the more you value people, the more you'll serve people. Then the more you serve them, the more you and they will smile again. I feel like we've been one step ahead of Sean the whole time. Yeah, that's exactly what we're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what we're saying. The more you serve others, the more you value them, the more you value them, the more you serve them, the more you serve them, the more joy you have. Right. And because you're chasing after what God has for you. Right. I posted once that I felt like the greatest single act of self-help that I've ever done was helping other people. Like was deciding to help other people. Now that doesn't mean like I'm ignoring my needs or I'm not like, you know, it's not like any of that. Some people came back at me when I posted that, like you have to take care of yourself and you can't pour from an empty cup. And like, I know, I know all that to be true. true. Right. But I mean like, but overall, right. The greatest self-help I can do is helping other people. We were talking about this last night uh, downtown. And uh, after Sean's message, I was talking about how, when I think about um, the, the people that I care about or the people that I care for or the people that break my heart, like my heart's broken for them. Like that's why we started downtown. Cause I feel like downtown is for people that feel like they've always been misfits in the church world. Like they just felt like they never could fit in that they were, you know, Charlie in the boxes or Susie dolls that 
I don't know, they couldn't cry or whatever, right? I'm having a hard time remembering all the misfit toys. But there was a train with square wheels and there was some other stuff. Anyway, you're not helping I'm, at all. Like, I'm trying to look for a quote because- Oh, okay. okay. I'll keep talking. Anyway, so then I feel like those are the people that like are my heart. And so when we launched downtown, it quickly became that. Like, let's be a place where people feel like they're welcome or that they have a place where they didn't feel like they had a place or that they were welcome at other churches. Not that there's anything wrong with those other churches, right? So it's, uh, through no fault of their own, let's just say, but because- I don't know, misfits are misfits. I'm a misfit. I'm a total weirdo. And like, it was hard for me to find a place that fit in. And so I found it here at Life Church, and I wanted to make sure that there was even more of that available. And that's kind of why we planted downtown because we're like, let's make it a place where everyone's welcome. Everyone feels that they've got a seat at the table, like literally at the table, and that, and then they can find a way to, you know, know more of who they are and in, in Jesus in a comfortable environment. Yeah. So anyway, so I was I just, that was my response to Sean's thing about like, you know, serve the people that break your heart or, you know, that your heart breaks for. Yeah. I want to just touch back on the part where you said the, the greatest single act of yeah. helping, you know, yeah, what yeah. did you say? The, great, the, the greatest single act of self-help I've ever done was helping other people. Yeah. And there's science to back that up. But there is not. There is. I'm Be- so smart. You are, um, because, and, and I, it's a really obscure reference, so I can't find it, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, if you're listening, try to look this up, uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, uh, she's a neuroscientist and she put out a statement at one point that said, um, when you are sad, when you are struggling, reaching out to another person and offering them kind words or helping another person even when you're struggling, increases your healing by wow. so much percent. And I can't remember the percentage. It's like anywhere, be, it's like in the 60s, like 67 or 76%. I think it's 76, actually. 76%. Wow. It makes you feel better. And that's backed by science, Scott. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to find it and we'll get it in the show notes. I maybe. want people to call me doctor now. I feel <laughs> like I'm a, Scott. I'm a doctor. So. That's it. We did all the things. Oh, wow. We, t- we did it really we fast. We talked about all of it. We did. How did we get through so fast? Like, I didn't feel like we... Because we're friends and we, we like friends. to talk to each other. That's totally true. That's totally true. <laughs> I'm glad that you were here today. It was really great to have yeah, you. You should come so back much. and wish you this again. Yeah, I would love You can love also that. hear my friend Emily Carlson, not Emily Jolly, on uh, an episode of the whole podcast. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, where you said it for that because uh, Emily is um, a big part of our Journey to Wholeness team. She's a facilitator. In fact, you're doing a, a Journey to Wholeness right now for young couples. Yeah, for young, for newly married like, and just married, engaged and newly married couples. Um, yeah. My husband and I, Steve Carlson and I, are um, facilitating. Not Steve Jolly. Don't call him Steve Jolly. Can you he imagine how not, mad like, he would be? I don't know. Are you mad, Steve? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but we're doing that. We're facilitating that. And it's been so great because it's you need to learn about your spouse. You yeah. know, you need to learn about yourself first. And that's what Journey's all about. Yeah. Learning about your past and how it's affecting your present, how you act and react. Um, but then you can learn that about your spouse as well. And then have a greater understanding for who they are and um, just come alongside them in their healing and yeah. I their feel journey. Like so much of so much of journey is context, understanding our context and then understanding like how other people react. I was just, sorry, I just hiccuped. I was just in Seattle 
and uh, my friend Rabbi Matt was showing me around Seattle, and we I was following him, and we pulled into a stoplight, and then this guy next to me gets out of his car. And he's yelling at the car in front of him because the car didn't turn left when they had a chance to. And he is like cursing up a storm. He's so mad that he didn't get to turn left just then. Oh my and goodness. I totally was like, oh my gosh, that guy needs journey in the worst way. He was triggered. Right. Like what's like what happened to you, bro, that this one thing is making you so aggravated? And that's really what journey is about because some people feel like journey is about like if you have this catastrophic thing. And while it is true for that, it's also for like just trust, trying to understand like why do we, we react the way that we do? If our first response when our wife asks us a question about our work or asks us about the car or asks us about to go clean something and we like are on fire immediately, like why is that? And if you're not taking the time to figure that out, then you're just like, boy, you're wasting life, right? And you're like pushing people away. And like, I love that part about journey is like, Hey, why am I feeling this way? Now I do that. Every time I feel something, I'm like, yeah. Hmm, I wonder why I'm feeling that way. That's weird. And Where that's would that perfect. Come from? Yeah. That's perfect because God has so much more for us to experience than what we have for us. Yeah. And if we stay where we're at, we're never going to get to experience what God has for us. Yeah, That's the truth. Yeah. Anyway, thanks again for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. We're so glad you could be a part of it. If you enjoyed uh, this podcast, please share it with someone that you feel might be able to benefit from these words. We'd love it. Love, love, love it. If you rated and reviewed this podcast and any one of your favorite podcast platforms, because really uh, this is all about getting the word out so that people do understand who they are and do know that, that they can be so much more the more that they lean into God. So we... Um, We thank you for joining us uh, for this episode, and we hope that you join us again the next time. Thanks. My name is Scott. See you then.